Say one, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. You're listening to Song and Story, conversations with songwriters about their songs. You can support this project on Patreon, and you can learn more at songandstorypodcast.com. Why do we like sad songs? No one really likes being sad, do they? I mean, I think Gautier was right when he sang, you can be addicted to a certain kind of sadness. But being addicted to something isn't the same as liking it. So why do we listen to, why do we endure, why do we seem to enjoy sad songs? The folks at Frontiers in Psychology conducted a fascinating study on this topic, the title of which offers one possible explanation. Being moved by sad music is associated with high empathy. Another explanation they offer refers to cognitive appraisal, which the study describes as, quote, Witnessing fictional sadness, loss, tragedy, allows the viewer to gain perspective to his or her own life, and such reassessment is satisfying. End quote. One of the most popular sad songs in recent memory was Adele's Someone Like You. It was a massively, commercially, Grammy award-winningly successful ode to heartbreak. I remember Saturday Night Live did a sketch where two women got caught by a co-worker. They were alone in the office, sobbing, while listening to someone like you. As their fellow employees returned and got wind of what was happening, everyone wanted in on the sadness. Everyone wanted in on the big cry. That was the punchline of the sketch, that we all long for emotional connection and Adele had provided it. Someone like you really does pack a solid emotional punch as Adele reminds every listener of what every listener is painfully aware, that sometimes it lasts in love, but sometimes it hurts instead. But this episode isn't about Adele and her sad song. It's about Rebecca Rubion and her sad song. If you're unfamiliar with Rebecca's music, check it out. She's a singer-songwriter based in Nashville. Her artistry is exceptional, and she's a genuinely kind, warm, and delightful woman. And when it comes to songs that convey sadness over heartbreak and love lost, when it comes to tragic emotional resonance and lyrical depth, Adele's contribution ends where Rebecca Rubion's cripple me begins hi i'm rebecca rubion in nashville tennessee and this song is called cripple me cold as ice the ground on my skin paralyzed from all the breaks I should get up, really I should get up, I know There's a place off in the future 
Personal? The song? Yeah. Is it in any way autobiographical? Is this your experience or is it for someone else? Right. Was it just a reflection? Well, how personal is this to you? Because it's heartbreaking. Thank you. <laughs> well, uh, it was personal. Um, I was going through a breakup and it wasn't a nasty breakup or anything. It was pretty clean. It wasn't a super 
serious relationship, but um, I was just I was just sick of not finding um, a soulmate, and I was, you know, it's exhausting. He was a good person. There wasn't anything wrong with him, but he just wasn't right. And right. that was a tough pill to swallow. And I remember feeling like, you know what? I'm just going to wallow in my self-pity <laughs> right now. And I don't feel like getting up. I don't feel like doing anything. I feel paralyzed by this. Um, and who ended it? I did. You did. Okay. Which it, it doesn't necessarily make sense because it seems like someone broke up, broke my heart. But um, yeah, like I said, it just it wasn't the right fit, and I knew it. But I, it wasn't because I didn't care for this person. Um, and sometimes that's harder on the breakupper than it is on the breakupy, and you just have to make that tough call. Cause you still miss them and it's, and it's on you. Like you have the questioning, like, did I make a mistake and you're lonely and it's your fault because you're the one who severed the ties. And, and then on top of that, you know, that you probably hurt the other person, you know? Sure. Sure. Yeah. I, um, I was in a relationship for almost three and a half years and um it was one of those things when when it ended you know she had ended it and it was really really tough uh at first but as it i guess the further removed from it that i got i i started to see that that it that it was right that that was ultimately the right decision mm -hmm. but i also acknowledged that i would not have made it yeah. You know? And so it was a weird, I was in a weird place where I wanted to, I, I still wanted to kind of sulk mm -hmm. and be sad and feel like I'd been hurt or wronged. But I also was acknowledging that, that what it, what had ultimately happened was the right thing. I think that I was just feeling like, you know, I know I'm going to be, I know I'm going to get over this. I know that time is a healer but just let me wallow in this moment let me just hurt and it feels good to hurt and it feels good to cry and it and it's okay but this is where I'm at I'm accepting it and I think that's a really healthy thing I think a lot of people in our culture are like you know like no do whatever you need to do to be happy or distract yourself from the pain. But I firmly believe that like you just need to go through the suffering part and that's just life. And that is not fun. Um, but there's so much growth um, in this, in those tough chapters, you know, maybe you could say that, unconsciously we tend to only apply grief or the stages of grief to to dead things <laughs> we we never really think of that process and those stages as as something that needs that can also 
sometimes has to be applied to to things that are are still alive yeah it's like being you know like you if you're nurturing a little plant and it's time to prune that plant like you have to literally cut off all the branches or are the snip the ends you know right uh so that it can grow back fuller and same can be said for like a bird's wings and you know like they need to sometimes you need to cut things off for it to grow back right or grow back more um fruitful so anyway it was a it was a low moment it was a low point it was a little dramatic i mean i'm a full grown adult writing this song i'm but um you know it was real and it was raw yeah sure were you were you still in the midst of it when when you wrote the song or was it kind of written in retrospect oh it was it was right in the midst okay yeah i wonder if it if it would have had the same kind of emotional uh raw and honest pull if it was written in retrospect i mean do do you think do you think you would have gone you would have gone there with it? I don't know. It's so tough to say. I think sometimes when I'm writing about things that are more theoretical or even if I've gone through them before, but not in that moment, you just, you can't, you can't replace the honesty of when you're going through something right now. Um, And it's, I think you and I have talked about this before where it's like, your songwriting is your therapy and these songs especially when you're writing from from the present sometimes they just walk out of you sure uh, the song sure and so yeah I, I definitely think it wouldn't have been as raw for sure yeah there's um a couple things as i was re-listening to it again today kind of in in preparation for this conversation and a couple couple things that came to mind one of which was a line from the counting crows song mrs potter's lullaby and it's this like seven eight minute long song that's just this kind of collage of images and metaphors and um one of the lines in it is the price of a memory is the memory of the sorrow it brings and uh i've always really liked that line because we don't ever i don't think we ever really try and forget the sad things you know we don't once we're far enough removed from them we don't we don't really dwell on them as much um but i do think in a sense we mm-hmm. we kind of hold on to that sadness you know like almost like we need to remember how bad it was once and that always gives us a little bit of comfort i think in the in the moment in the present moment that it's it's not that bad now <laughs> does that make sense yeah and totally and it's part of your story and you got back up like i think uh some of the biggest heartaches in my life i look back and i'm like you know it's al- it's almost still a little baby wound and it's like it's it's scarred over but it's it's still there. It's not, you know, it didn't disappear. And I don't know. I just, I think it's 
it's part of my story. I, the reason I started writing songs in the first place was because of my first real heartache. And, um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. It's what makes us human too. Yeah. But the other thing that I thought of today, cause you know, when you get to the pre-chorus, I think th- this is where you, you kind of get into the, the particular of what you're singing about. Because just the first stanza, cold as ice, the ground on my skin, paralyzed from all the breaking. I should get up, really, I should get up. You know, like that is, uh, it's clear that something dramatic and serious has happened, but we don't really know what it is yet. And that that's kind of revealed once you get to your, I guess it would be the pre-chorus. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a place off in the future where I'll be moving forward, where your face looks less familiar and I'll be moving on. That's like, <laughs> that's like a, it's a knife to the chest. It's not a knife to the heart because that would kill you, but it's a knife to, it's a knife to the chest in that you can feel the pain and it makes it tougher to breathe. Yeah. And, and you know how like post breakup, you're like, you try, I mean, maybe this is creepy of me and it's not a thing for anyone else, but I would like try to picture their face and try to remember what it was like to be with them, to be laughing with them, you know, their mannerisms. And the longer, um, the farther away you get from that relationship, the harder it is to remember the essence of that person. And so that's where that line came from where your face is less familiar uh, because you know that with time, I'm going to forget what this was like. And someone once said to me after a different breakup, like, try to try not to remember the bad, but try to remember the good. And I'm like, what? Like, why would I want to focus on the good? I'm trying to move on. <laughs> but I think, I think it, it gives you peace to know that however long you were with that person, um, there was a lot of good that came. Sure. And so when you sing that, you know, where there's a, there's a place in the future where I'll be moving on, but it's not tonight. Tonight, I'm I'm gonna take my time. I'm gonna let your memory cripple me. That idea of letting you know letting your memory cripple me, like you you are letting it paralyze you lying on the floor because you need this pain you need to remember it um Mm -hmm. it's something you have to wrestle with and you know survive yeah and take your time because yeah it's not like any grieving process you can't rush through it you can't i do think there's a time where maybe you like linger too long in grief um there's a time where you need to let go but um you can't just do it immediately you know like you kind of need to sit with it and deal with it however uh is best all of this feels universally applicable and i'm only really projecting my own experiences onto that but i assume that everybody listening to this has experienced this Mm -hmm. in in some form um that kind of weird mix of family members and friends encouraging you to get up and Mm -hmm. get out and stop sulking and do something 
while at the same time other family members or friends who maybe broke up at one point with the person they eventually married and then a year or two later got back together and married them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I had experiences where people were sharing those stories with me in the midst of, of breakups in such a way that it was like, hey, don't worry, you know, there's hope. <laughs> yeah, so you it'll come back or yeah so it's it's this, you're getting this weird mix of people encouraging you to move on and people encouraging you to hold on mm-hmm. and uh it all feels in the moment equally unhelpful <laughs> right and it's all true too right like, right people are your you know are really your friends and they're encouraging you what they're saying may be true, but it's, there's just nothing you can say to make it better in that moment. And yeah, which is the point of the whole song. Just, just let me, let me be here in this sadness. Right. Yeah. And the second verse there, you know, you get into kind of the particulars of, of memories. And I, you, you already mentioned in this conversation of the importance of remembering the good things and, uh, you're definitely doing that when you remember all the days mm-hmm. we'd go walking down the still landscapes. And when you get to the description of the birds that were flying, that's when you're almost like you're pulled as you're singing, almost like you are pulled back out of this good memory yeah. and applying a part of this memory to how you should act now in this moment, mm-hmm. that I should be one of those birds but I, I can't right now. <laughs> yeah. That's a, br- that's a brilliant oh. lyrical direction to take with it. I think that was a moment where I, honestly, I was just driving and it was, it was uh, winter, you know, and like all the leaves were gone on the trees and everything feels more still in winter. And, um, but there were all these birds in the trees and they were going crazy, um, flying everywhere. And, um, so I was like, gosh, we went walking down this street and yeah, I caught myself in the, in mid thought and was like, yeah, I should be one of the birds, you know, like I like imagery in songs a lot because songs are kind of 2d, you know, and like the more you can bring that third dimension, into imagery picturing yourself there um i don't know it helps me when i'm listening oh sure sure in terms of the the production on it it's it's really is pretty stripped in in that it's only it's piano and strings and that's it other than other than your vocals um what are the strings on there violins violas is there a cello I know that there are violin and cello. Um, no, you know what? Well, yes, yes, yes. Violin and cello. There may have been a viola. Um, I just know that Eleanor Deneg, who is a um, just an amazing string composer in Nashville and a friend of mine, did such a great job. There's, We kept comparing the high parts to like whale voices. And it sounds like whales are crying, which is kind of perfect for the song. Um, oh, yeah. But, yeah, I think there's one particular moment with the strings somewhere around the bridge where um, 
they just get really high and just when you don't think they can get high higher they do um but yeah we wanted it really intimate because I, I just wanted it to be brought to a place of like I am just here sitting on a cold bathroom floor singing this moment so we wanted it to be pretty intimate well they're they're great in that um you know you notice them but unless unless you kind of let yourself focus on them they just so naturally enhance the melody and the atmosphere of the song mm-hmm. i've listened to it a few times where i've kind of i'll isolate the strings and listen to it and in and of themselves musically they are heartbreaking <laughs> uh did you have did you let kind of someone else take the lead on arranging those or did you, did you have melodies in mind? Cause you don't play violin. No, I don't. Um, I just kind of gave her the direction and just let her run with it. Um, she's, she just has really great intuition there. And, uh, uh, yeah, that's a hard, a hard thing to do when you're the artist and you're just trusting someone else to take the reins. Um, whether it's a producer or a composer or anyone. Um, and if you do have opinions, you kind of need to give them a frame of reference before. But it's also kind of the beautiful thing about recording is you're letting other hands imprint on onto the song and make it, I mean, gosh, how many different directions can you go with oh, yeah. song? You know, so yeah. like it's the people that are part of the recording that make it what it is ultimately even if you do give them direction beforehand um and that's a really really cool thing to me uh your vocals on it are perfect especially when you hit that man when you hit the one at the end did you did someone encourage you to go that high with it or did you naturally did you write it that way i wrote it that way um and it's not it's so funny i mean i wrote this song years ago so just revisiting it like this is kind of funny um but yeah and actually i had a friend of mine who is such a good musician like he's actually classically trained and um incredible bass player scott mulvihill do you know scott oh yeah scott scott's awesome i don't want to throw him at all he's 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 much better than i am and he's he's playing you know he plays bass for me a lot and and we collaborate on each other's stuff a lot and he's like now that last chord the d major i can't i'm just making it up i don't even remember which chord it is he's like now that's technically dissonant because see you're in the key of g and or whatever it is and i was like and he's like do you now was that a mistake or do you want me to and i was like that was intentional scott like that's so funny like so good that you know that my stuff is incorrect like that's so funny um but it's just it's it cracks me up because he like he's just he's just the next level really oh Um, yeah but so so yeah it was intentional and it was original um the vocal vocal arrangement it's a high note yeah it's up there (laughs) Yeah, I think it's always helpful to, and the song is a great kind of example of that. I mean, listening to it, if you've ever been through anything remotely like it, then you know that there's at least one other person 
out there in this case named named Rebecca Ruvian who who knows what you're going through oh so. I I get a lot of people who tell me Cripple Me is my favorite their favorite song um and it makes me really happy because I was it's so devastating that I'm like I usually am apologetic before I perform it <laughs> but it um but yeah I, I just just people have told me like yeah that got me through you know tough times um and I just again I I think the whole reason I wrote the song was like look like there's nothing wrong with me being sad it's okay to have a bad day it's okay to be going through a tough time um and it's necessary you know yeah so yeah, I hope that's the message that people get from it, and I hope that they still find hope. Cold as ice, the ground on my skin paralyzed from all the breaking I should get up really I should get up I know there's a place off in the future where I'll be moving forward where your face looks less familiar I'll be moving on but it's not tonight tonight I I'm gonna take my time gonna let your memory cripple me Precious time All the days We'd go walking Down the still landscapes The birds were flying I should be One of those birds Just time 
If you enjoyed my conversation with Rebecca, her music is available on iTunes, Spotify. I've included links on songandstorypodcast.com. Of course, you can always go straight to her own website, RebeccaRubion.com, to learn more about her and her work, to order hard copies, CDs, etc. If you enjoy this podcast, please spread the word. Share links on social media. Send links to friends who you think might enjoy it. This is only the third episode, and the response so far has been incredible. I've gotten some amazing feedback, and I'm so excited to share future episodes moving forward. There is a Patreon page to help support and sustain this project, and every little bit helps. So to become a sustaining patron, go to patreon.com slash songandstory. You can get access to all kinds of bonus content, including a bonus episode that I'll be putting up featuring more of my conversation with Rebecca. You can follow me, Kevin Heider, and this podcast, Song and Story, on social media. All the necessary links can be found on songandstorypodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening. Because you still are, here's a little bonus clip and a book recommendation. Enjoy. The book, A Severe Mercy. Have you read it? Oh, God. <laughs> One of the saddest books I have ever read in the most necessary of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, did that imagery kind of enter your mind when you wrote this? Because there's that whole scene, for those that haven't read it, she dies and he goes through this process that is what he calls the illumination of the past. And he just takes time alone, immersing himself in memories of their life together. You know, he listens to all of the music that they would listen to. He pulls out all the old letters that he wrote to her, that she wrote to him and reads them. He just, as a way to make her just as present, if not more so in death as she was in life. And it is heartbreaking did you have that concept in mind of like that illumination of the past? Um, I'm not sure if I had that direct concept in mind. I think I know that I read that book around the time that I wrote that song actually, but um, no, it was just more of, uh, it had been my experience that, you know, like, like, 
I guess similar. Yeah. Similar to the illumination of the past. You just try to remember you soak up every last detail in your memories of, of what it was like. And it gives you peace to know that however long you were with that person, um, there was a lot of good that came. Sure. So, um, yeah, but that book is, I think it actually like ripped my heart out and put it back. In. Oh yeah. Yeah. That was one. So my wife actually, uh, once we got engaged and we had a short engagement, it was just a little over six months, but she made me promise that I would read it before our wedding day. And so I was reading it and I was at the part where she, she was sick. It was clear that she was going to die and she was in the hospital and for some reason, I think I just got busy with shows and I had to put the book down for a couple weeks. And I sat down on an airplane and opened the book up for the first time in three weeks. And the moment I started reading it, I was immediately back in this place of immense sadness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but as as you know from reading it, it's it's a sadness that's it feels necessary. It feels like something you have to read about and you have to go through. And their love was so unique. Yeah. I mean, they had, before they had, you know, their, like, foundation of their faith. They had just, they just had each other. So they really, they did everything the other person did. If one person was reading a book, the other person read that book. If, you know, like, they had they had their own language that they invented to signal to each other um, in public. And it was just, it was, it was so good, but yeah. Anyway, go read it. Everyone. A severe mercy by Sheldon Van Auken. 